Welcome to our Savior's Church, Church at Home. I'm Pastor Jacob Aranza, and I can tell you, you're watching this right now because we were actually supposed to be together this weekend. And I can't tell you how much we love you and how much we miss you, but we're not gathering today because of Cristobal, a weather event. That's right, a weather event. I know that there's a lot of things that are going on in our world today that I want to address here in just a moment. Stay close. But I want to say y'all have been amazing during this time. As a matter of fact, you put half a million masks on people's faces all across Louisiana that were at risk to keep the spread of COVID-19 at bay. In the last week, you fed over a thousand families through Love Acadiana and through Love Our Community and through our incredible partner of Super One Foods. Thank you. You've been the hands and feet of Jesus. You're living proof that although the doors of the church are closed, the church as we know it is alive and strong and reaching across Acadiana and across Louisiana. The Bible says in Romans 5.20, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. But here's our challenge. We live in an age of media and the media does not record what God is doing. It simply records what the enemy is doing. We must understand that there are two dramatically different messages being streamed all across our country right now on hundreds of news media outlets of every shape and size. So how do you deal with the generation, Ravi Zacharias said, that feel with their eyes and think with their emotions? And I might add that it's completely connected constantly to outside media via Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Snapchat, and all of these other venues of media. In the age of media, compassion has overruled conviction. As a matter of fact, no one is more compassionate than God. And when God and his words speak to something, it speaks to it because it's the best and most compassionate way there is. I love what my dear friend and the friend of our Savior's Church, Dr. Darius Daniels, loves to say when he says this, I believe that Christianity gives me a superior way of living. Why? Because it's the way that God designed for us to live. It's not simply the truth, but it's a superior way to live because God created us that way. Today, I want to take you back to the beginning of our Savior's Church, to its core, to its messages, and to its value. How did it begin? Where do things like we've come to break pride, poverty, and prejudice come from that are common mantras of our Savior's church? Can I take you back to the beginning? It begins with a small boy in a large family. One of six children, the fifth of six, his father would be divorced five times, his mother two times, the man she would marry after him would be married seven times. Of course, it's my story. It begins in the black ghetto of Houston where I was raised until I was nine years old, and then we moved to the Mexican ghetto of Houston. Little did I know we would be caught up right in the heat of integration. And by the time I got to my junior high school, the government had mandated that blacks be bused from African-American schools to white schools so they could get an equal education. There's just one problem. Mexicans were not considered to be Mexicans. We were considered to be white because the Supreme Court said it wasn't black, it was white. My birth certificate says I'm white. 
Later on, I found that I was a Latino. Not long after that, I found I was a Chicano. Then I found that I was a Hispanic. Just pray for me while I find myself. I think you get the picture. But in that chaos, our school of 2000 became 60% Mexican, 39% black, and 1% white, and utter chaos filled our inner city community. Very similar to what you see happening on the news media that was happening all across America in integration. But God was about to do something miraculous. He was about to do something that would be a glimpse of what you see today if you're a part of our Savior's church. A very white pastor who knew nothing about working in the inner city had fallen in love with the preacher's daughter who had a church right there in the Mexican ghetto of Houston. As he began to court her, he began to look at the neighborhoods that surrounded the church. He heard about the race riots. And one day his heart was pricked as he drove by a school that was having racial tensions Full-time police officers, open solicitation of prostitution, use of drugs. And all of a sudden, God touched his heart and said, go in there and tell the principal you want to help. And this white pastor from another world and another culture came and came and spoke at our school. A week later, he came back with the band. They played. I went to that night because a beautiful girl named Dolores asked me to go. And she promised me that if I went, she would kiss me. That night, I had an encounter with God. That night, an African-American man looked at me at the end of service and said, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who your mom and dad are. It doesn't matter who your siblings are. There is a God that loves you and wants to forgive you. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And he wants to know you. Do you want that? It was all I ever wanted. That moment. I prayed to receive Christ. And the pastor that led that group that came in, he became a father to me. He would pick me up in my mother's bar where I lived three times a week. He would check on me all throughout the week. Some weekends I would go and spend the nights with he and his family. He paid for every restaurant visit. He paid for every meal every time that I was around him. He became the hands and feet of Jesus, even though he was a different color, even though he came from a different culture, even though he came from a different economic background, he became a picture of Jesus to me. When I was 17, he announced that he was moving. I walked up to him after church and I said, living in my mom's bar, hey, pastor, if you leave, what's going to happen to me? He said, ask your mother if she'll sign papers and you can go with me. I came back from my mom's bar that night, the Sunday night service and said, my mom said I could go. And that man took me in as his own son. And he showed me how to be a husband and a father and a man. I can show you the family pictures where, where we would take pictures together and he would walk up to people and put his arm around me and say, this is my son. And you'd see everybody white and some with blonde hair and blue eyes and different color eyes. And, and then you'd look at me and here I am, this tall, skinny Mexican kid with hair down to here that you couldn't tell whether I was a boy or a girl. But what he did that day was teach me that at the cross, there is no skin color. That's why I love to say, Jesus saved my soul, but the church of Jesus saved my life. That day, that church, 
that pastor became Jesus in his picture of heaven to me. Dr. Darius Daniels loves to say it like this. Pastor, he said to me recently, the only solution to what's happening in the world today is what you are doing at our Savior's church. You see, he didn't understand why. He didn't know the story of how someone reached down because they obeyed the words of this book and because they did and fleshed it out, somebody of a different color, of a different creed, of a different background, someone they should have been afraid of, they endeared to themselves and I became a son. Right now, more than ever before, we need the message of this book fleshed out. We need to begin in our churches to begin making disciples that are committed to breaking pride, poverty, and prejudice. Because by the way, that's the first thing this book did. I remember when we started the church, I and then Pastor Eugene would come up at the beginning of service when we were meeting in orange chairs over in Broussard. 21 years ago, 20 years ago, 19 years ago, all during that period. And we would stand up and say, if you're here and you're white, we hope you enjoyed the service today. If you're black, welcome home. Every time we did that, African-Americans were uneasy. Some would kind of look over to the side to see if anybody would flinch. Whites were uneasy. But every time we did that, we knew that we were driving away a spirit that had long time separated not only man from each other, but man from God, because prejudice is a sin before God himself. How many of you want to make a difference with your life? Let me ask you a question. What if you wanted to start a worldwide movement that began in your community to change your community, your city, your country, and then the world, how would you do it? Here's another question. What if you only had 36 months to do it in? In other words, you were going to leave a, a, a movement that was going to change all of the world, but you had 36 months alone to do it. Do, do you know that we don't have to wonder about that? It's right here. Jesus lived 30 years on earth, and in the last 36 months of his life, he took and he began a worldwide movement that today billions of people all across the earth call upon his name. And it continues to be propagated, changing the hearts of man, breaking pride, poverty, and prejudice in every nation on earth. What was that message? I believe that today, that is the hard reset and the core that we must get back to as a church and even as a country. Here it is. In Matthew 28, 16, Jesus said, Now all 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mount which Jesus had designated for them. And when they saw him, he had just raised from the dead. They worshiped him, but some doubted that it was really him. Jesus came up and said to them, all authority, all the power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. In other words, he said, I lived 33 years. I died the most cruel death known to mankind. I've defeated death, hell, and the grave. And I came back to give you a message. Go and make disciples. 
I have the power and the authority that I've given you. Go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of the circumstance, on every occasion, even to the end of the age. Jesus gave them in those words of this book, one method to change the world, one method that would change the heart of man, one method that would break pride, poverty, and prejudice in every sphere of the earth. What was it? It's called discipleship. The last thing Jesus said before he ascended into heaven was to go into all the world and make disciples. Have you ever been with someone when they gave you their last words before they left? I can tell you, they're the most important things that they have to say. That's why they wait. They want those things to be impressed upon your heart and mind as long as you live. Jesus' words were, go into all the world and make disciples. And I have this haunting sense that if that's the last thing that he said before he left, when he sees you and me, it might be the first thing he asks when he sees us. I began preaching when I was 14 years old. By the time I was 40 years old here at our Savior's Church, I'd preached to millions of students on drugs, drinking, and sex, and had seen hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ. I'd even had the privilege of preaching with Billy Graham in the Georgia Dome. It was an amazing experience. But when I was 40 years old, a, a catalytic event happened during a prayer time. I was here in Lafayette, and, and I was praying. I was traveling all over, doing conferences, and I heard the Holy Spirit in a time of prayer whisper. You know how he can whisper. It means like a thought comes across your mind, like written on a white board, and you know that it didn't come from you. I was reading Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. And I heard the Holy Spirit whisper this thought, write it on the board of my mind. How many disciples do you have? I began counting. And when I got to eight, I'd been preaching since I was 14. I was 40 years old. I'd preached to millions of people. I had eight disciples. And then I heard that word again, those thoughts again. If that's the last thing I said, it might be the first thing I ask you. At that moment, there was a movement called Promise Keepers. It was too breaking pride, poverty, and prejudice in stadiums all across America where men gathered together. And we began following a model they had begun again of accountability and discipleship. And for the first 10, 15 years of our Savior's church, you could not go to a coffee shop or a restaurant at Acadiana without a man sitting across from another man. And they'd have their Bibles open and they'd be memorizing scripture and he'd be asking him questions. Are you living faithful? Or is your mind pure? What is God doing in your life? How are you treating your wife and children? What's going on in your life? And as men sat and began to to pour their lives into each other of every shape, every size, and every color. At that moment, our Savior's church didn't accidentally become 40% 
African-American. It happened on a purpose of taking a biblical principle that Jesus gave, which was to go to every nation. Now, now when we read that, we always read that in our current context, like, okay, I'll go in every, okay, I'll get on a plane. I'll go preach in Africa. I'll go preach in Asia. I'll go to Europe. Everybody wants to go to Hawaii. Now listen carefully. To the Jew when Jesus said that, when he said go to preach, another, another portion records it as saying in Jerusalem, Judea, that's where the Jews lived, and Samaria. Samaritans were one of the most hated people by the Jews there were. They were Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles, which are non-Jews, and they'd lost their spiritual heritage. As a matter of fact, the Jews actually believed, the Jews Jesus came to actually believed they alone had exclusive rights to God and that when the Savior came, he would come only to them and everyone else would spend eternity in hell. So they had the right to treat them with great prejudice, indifference, and disdain. So when Jesus looked at them when he came back from the dead and said, Go preach the gospel to all the people you've hated, all the people you've been prejudiced against, all the places that you've walked around. A Jew would walk around the city of Samaria. A Jew, if he saw someone that was a non-Jew walking across the street, he would walk on the other side to get away from them. You see, the first thing that the gospel did is it broke the power of prejudice. Why? Because if God is your father and Jesus is your savior, then I'm your brother, whether you like Mexicans or not. Our African-American brothers, I'm your brother. My white brothers, you're my brother. If you are a child of God, you are no longer in culture. You are in Christ. You see, that was the equivalent at that time of Jesus saying to them, go to all the people that you think are the least worthy and the most unliked and take them and pour your life into them as I have taken three years and poured my life into you and become disciple makers. Pour your life into them. Give yourself to them. Do you know what a hard message that was for them to hear? As a matter of fact, it was only until Acts chapter 9. The book of Acts records 34 years of history after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And it took them till Acts chapter 9 when a man named Cornelius, who was Italian, when he sent for Peter, and when Peter came to his house, he said, you're a Gentile, I'm a Jew, I shouldn't even come into your house. But a vision had come from God that had shown Peter before, don't you call unclean what I call clean. Can, can I tell you how powerful that is for me? All my life, I was, I was ashamed of being Mexican. I, I know, I know. Yeah, pastor, that's right. No one in my family had ever graduated from high school. My father dropped out in sixth grade. My mother dropped out. I, I, I look back at those moments and and I'm going to be honest with you. You know what I used to tell my friends at school? Because my parents would never be able to show up. They were waiters and waitresses and barmaids. And, 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 and they would not show up at any choir events or things like that. You know what I'd tell them? My, my dad works for the FBI. He just poses as a waiter. You know why? Because if my daddy was something, then it meant that I was something. 
Do, do you know what Pastor Cletty Keith, that white pastor, did to me? He would literally beat inside of me. Jacob, God wanted you to be brown, and if you'd have been white, you'd have been the best white person there was. If he wanted you to be black, you'd have been the best black person there was. He's ordained you, and one day he will take what is external, and he will expose what's internal inside of you to a world around you who will listen, not just because of your skin color, because of what God has done. Can, can I tell you something you need to know? People don't go places. They don't go to church because it's a black church or a white church because it's a white church or an Indian church because it's an Indian church, I guess. Do you know where people go? They go where you go and I go. We go where we're loved and celebrated. We go where we are treasured. We go where we are honored, where people truly see us as family. Jesus was preaching to a great crowd and they came and weaved their way through the crowd. Someone did and said, Jesus, your, your, your mama and your brothers and, and your sisters are here. And Jesus said in Matthew 4, 48, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? It's he that does the will of my father in heaven. You see what's needed today is the fatherhood of God. And then recognizing because of Christ, the brotherhood of men and women for every single born again child of God. I, I, I know that many of you were raised different ways. I know that some of you were raised and maybe the N-word was a common thing in your house. I know that some of you were raised where calling a Mexican a wetback was a common thing in your house. I know that some of you raised were calling somebody white was honky or cracker was, was a common thing in your house. Can, can I tell you what people are doing now? People are taking their posting all kinds of different things on Instagram because they say things in the privacy of their home with their phone or sitting in a coffee shop that they never say to someone's face. But can I tell you what the world needs to see? They don't need to see something that you can post in 30 seconds. They need to see something that's being built that is a representative of heaven. I believe that our Savior's church is called, that when people walk in the back doors of our church, they look and they see and they think, my God, this place is black, brown, white, red, mixed. This must be a church that looks like heaven. Maybe you're African-American and you say, Pastor, do you, do you really understand my plight? Lean in a moment. I have an African-American daughter that my wife and I chose and adopted who is the greatest treasure of our life. And it has been my great honor to give fatherhood and dignity to her an African-American the same way a white man did to me. He made me a son. I made her a daughter. And that is the spirit that needs to come into our nation. And that is the spirit that will not come into our nation till it comes back to our churches. Every church. 
God help us that a church would be known as a white church or a black church instead of the church of Jesus. We're at the cross when the blood of Jesus is shed across us. Every one of us are the same. We disciple men and women of every nation because that's the command that Jesus gave. He specifically said every nation because he knew the propensity of man is to go to people that are like us or people that like what we like or people that want what we want. But instead, he said, go into every nation. I don't want you to be confused what I've called you to do. Yes, there are other issues that need to be spoken to and addressed. But let me say something to you. Listen carefully. It's a lot easier to burn a flag or to burn a building than it is to build something that costs you of your time, your life, your energy, your family, your friends. Jesus said, where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Today, I believe that God has called us not just to say something, but to do something great. There is an injustice before us that we're responsible to speak to. But we're responsible to do more than just speak to it. We're responsible to do something. What's needed most is not only justice. Yes, we need justice, but we need reconciliation. We need repentance from those who've allowed systemic prejudice to happen. Listen, America's not the land of equal outcome, but it should be the land of equal opportunity. And if I get pulled over as a brown man, or Pastor Eugene gets pulled over as a red man, or Pastor Gabe Smith gets pulled over as a black man, or Dr. Scott Adams gets pulled over as a white man, we should be treated the same by the law. Anything else is an injustice. But can I share something with you? Those of you like me who have felt the sting of prejudice. Can can I tell you something? Listen carefully. Justice won't take away the pain. It, It won't take away the pain of hurt, of rejection, of resentment, of the wounds of your past. The white preachers that looked at me when I was a kid and said, You can't date my daughter. You're a Mexican. It it won't take away the sting. The only thing that will do that is the grace of God. The grace of God. If every person that's done an injustice to any person of color was, was put away forever tomorrow, only the power of this book And the God who authored it can change the heart of man. What's happened in these last incidents that we've seen is sinful. It is unjust. It is sinful. Secondly, it's senseless. It's senseless. It's senseless. It makes no sense. How could people stand by and watch it? Here's the third thing. It's systemic. Things need to be spoken. Things need to be said. But if you want to know if something is God or not and the way that people react, look at the fruit. During COVID-19 and the first 48 hours, stores were ravaged. It was panic and fear. God is not the author of fear. 
African Americans are afraid. And I believe that people that are not African American are divided into two categories. Some are indifferent. And that's a sin. That's a sin. But others are in fear. You don't know what to say or do. And so you do nothing. Can I, can I tell you this? I want people to see not what we're saying, but what we're doing. Today, America is experiencing a different plague. And each plague brought judgment on something that God despised in Egypt. Today, God is judging the prejudice of America. He is. He's exposing it. The things that people are doing, the Bible says that the anger of man does not fulfill the righteousness of God. It's ungodly. As a matter of fact, George Floyd's brother was on TV screaming, what are you doing? Why are you burning things down? Why, this isn't honoring God. This isn't honoring my brother. We're God-fearing people. His exact words. May God help us today that as we look at what's going on in the world around us, we realize that the local church is the hope of the world and the power of the cross is the only thing that will ultimately bring justice, repentance, and forgiveness and hope to a lost, hurting, broken world. Could I pray for you right now? I, I want to pray for many who, who are on all sides of what I've shared today. I want to say to those that are African-American, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain that you've endured that's unjust. It's been systematic. And it's a sin. It's a sin. If God is your father and you are a born-again child of God, I am your brother. And God has called me to be an advocate, to share empathy in that advocacy. To those of you that aren't people of color, ah, I, I, I'm married. My wife is white. I've, I've been a leader in a white world, most often the only brown person in the room. I, I know I know that those that are at our Savior's church, that, that, that you have a heart. You've stayed because you trusted us and believed that as we preach this message of this book, that it would break things and it would give your children a better future. And maybe they could grow up with a better upbringing than you experienced. Can, can I encourage you to share some empathy today? You know, oftentimes in messages, we, we, we tell you, you know, things that you would be good for you to think about. I want to tell you something good today. Could you express empathy to someone that you know of color? Could, could you do the exact opposite of what the enemy is telling them? I've often said, I don't always know what God wants me to do, but if I know what the enemy wants me to do, I'm going to do the exact opposite. So that if you're in a situation, would, would you express kindness? Would you buy a meal for someone of a different color or culture? Would you extend a friendship? Would you invite them over for a meal? Would you begin to do what Jesus might do in those circumstances? 
I know this is a very, very difficult thing to hear. But as a brown man with a black daughter, raised by a white man, this book and its power is alive. And given opportunity to be obeyed, it changes things. And it will for you. Father, I pray for many right now who feel uncomfortable on all sides of this. Jesus, no one has ever been more unjustly treated than you. You understand injustice. Jesus, no one understands the brokenness of humanity more than you. You're God. You've seen it from the fall. To every injustice and abuse that's ever taken place in all of humanity. Jesus, today, we don't gather at a bridge, we gather at the cross where all of us have sinned and fallen short. Where all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. And Lord, today we are asking for mercy for our nation. Have mercy upon our nation. And may every church once again be a reflection of heaven because it cannot happen on earth until your representatives on earth preach your truth and apply it to those things. Bless every person listening today. I don't think you can hear a message like that without feeling some sort of conviction. We're all guilty of something. It could be indifference. It could be uh, fear. I've been fearful. I haven't risen to the occasion. It could be anger and I've said things I wish I wouldn't have said or posted things I wish I wouldn't have posted. I think all of us can feel conviction. Not condemnation, but conviction. And there's a beautiful thing that God gives us. It's called repentance. That we can repent of our sin and be made right before him. He'll say that he'll take your sin and cast it into the sea of forgetfulness and remember it no more. It doesn't mean that God can't remember it anymore. He just refuses to use your past against you. Wouldn't it be great if everybody refused to use your past against you? That's what God said he would do. In fact, you know, some of you might even have heard the story in John 3 when Nicodemus went to Jesus to ask him about this eternal life. And Jesus said, you can't enter it, you can't even see it until you've been born again. What does that mean? I love what the prophet said. God would reach in and take out the heart of stone that's in you and me and replace it with a heart of flesh. We can feel again. We can have joy again. We can be righteously anger again. And that's what God wants to do in each of our heart. You have to be born again. You go, Pastor you, how do I get born again? It's as easy as A, B, or C. A, admit that you're a sinner. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. And we need God's grace and forgiveness in our life. And he says you can receive it by repenting. We need it. I, I, I don't know how righteous you think you are, but most of us aren't as righteous as we think we are. 
We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We are all sinners, red, brown, black, yellow, white. We are all in desperate need of forgiveness. B, believe that Christ came, the very reason he came, to live a sinless life, to pay the penalty for you, the sin penalty, to pay your bill. He came to pay it for you. It's already been paid. And then C, confess. It's how you access the forgiveness. Jesus came and died on the cross for justice, but it wasn't applied to me. It wasn't received by me until I repented of my sin. And maybe you're here today and you're ready to be born again, to repent, to ask God to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life and forgive you of all of your sins. He's waiting right now to do just that. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to lead you in this prayer. I'm asking you, would you just mean this from your heart? If you'll say it out loud to God and mean it, he'll forgive you right where you are right now. Would you pray this with me? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go, and that you rose from the dead on the third day to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. Come on, declare this with me. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin. I repent to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations if you prayed that prayer with me. I want you to do one more step. I just want you to text Connect OSC to the number 41411. Somebody from our team is going to reach out to you and help you on your next step in your journey. And if you didn't have an opportunity to be a partner with us, don't forget you can always give in three ways. You can text OSC family to 77977. Go to OurSaviorsChurch.com, click give or mail to the address on the screen. And so we can't wait to hear from you if you prayed to be born again. And we can't wait to see you next weekend at one of our six locations. Please go to OurSaviorsChurch.com for service times and locations. Some of those are amended due to the COVID-19. So please double check that and can't wait to see you again. We'll see you next weekend. God bless you.